The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Good morning. It's Monday, the 31st of July in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Hewitt podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, the Bank of Japan steps into the bond markets, unexpectedly testing out its new rules for controlling yields. The latest Chinese economic data shows an economy under pressure, but Beijing stops short of direct help for consumers. And the bleak economic picture facing Britain's 20-somethings. They've got higher housing costs, weakening job prospects, and even bigger student debt. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. The Bank of Japan has stepped into the bond markets with unscheduled purchases to bring down yields, which hit their highest level in nine years. The central bank bought bonds worth $2.1 billion after the 10-year yield rose above 0.6%. It comes after the BOJ adjusted its policy on Friday to allow the benchmark rate to climb as high as 1%. Mastercard's Asia-Pacific chief economist David Mann sees it as a slow move to leave yield curve control. As we saw from the moves today, uh, that they're looking to try and control the ascent of JGB yields because they know that the, the market clearing rate, knowing where inflation is, it's above US inflation now, would be much higher. The challenge is on, on exiting these sorts of policies in a relatively orderly fashion. Mastercard's David Mann adding that if the Bank of Japan succeeds, it will have a big payoff for the yen's stability. The latest economic data from China shows further weakness in manufacturing and a slowdown in services activity, but investors are paying little heed. Bloomberg's Brian Curtis reports from Hong Kong. China's manufacturing shrank for a fourth month in July, suggesting the recovery is weakening. Non-manufacturing activity expanded more slowly than expected. The official PMI coming in at 49.3. That was up from June and in line with estimates. Many of the sub-indexes contracted. Now, the non-manufacturing gauge slipped to 51.5 from 53.2 in June. Despite the weakness, stocks rallied as investors essentially front-run more stimulus. In Hong Kong, Brian Curtis, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Now, investors are preparing for further volatility in the week ahead with rate decisions to come from Australia and the UK. With global central banks shifting to data-dependent rate paths, the central bank with one of the most unenviable tasks remains the Bank of England. Thursday's decision remains on a knife edge with money markets pricing and economists surveys tilting towards a quarter-point rate hike but not ruling out a surprise larger interest rate hike. Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari says the US inflation outlook is quite positive, though rate hikes will probably result in job losses and slower growth. Speaking to CBS, Kashkari said the base case is that the US avoids a recession, but employment may, quote, tick up to as high as 4%. 
Overall, I think that the inflation outlook is quite positive, that it should be slowly diminishing from here. But again, we've just continued to be surprised by the dynamics of this reopening economy. And so we can't prejudge it. We have to let the data actually guide us. Neil Kashkari speaking there to CBS. Meanwhile, Vanguard's chief economist Joe Davis isn't buying talk of a soft landing, saying inflation will remain above 2% for some time. The ECB president, Christine Lagarde, says that European policymakers could hike interest rates again, even after a pause. Lagarde told Le Figaro newspaper that at the next meeting in September, quote, there could be a further hike of the policy rate or perhaps a pause. She went on to say a pause whenever it occurs in September or later would not necessarily be definitive. The ECB president went on to insist the bank would be data dependent. We'll get the July inflation figures for the euro area later, which are expected to show a slowdown uh, and a continued slowdown in the pace of price rises. Here in the UK, MPs have concerns about the government's plan to finance EDF's two nuclear reactors at Sizewell and Suffolk, Bloomberg's Ewan Potts reports. It's the UK's first new nuclear power station in more than 30 years. But MPs on the Commons Science, Innovation and Technology Committee say the financing model for the Sizewell Sea plant in Suffolk could expose taxpayers to cost overruns and delays. The government's trying to attract private investors through a mechanism that shares the risk of construction costs with the public. But the report says that leaves consumers unfairly exposed. The project by France's EDF is already over budget and taking longer than planned. The UK has a target of building 24 gigawatts of nuclear capacity by 2050, a huge ambition that is already being met with scepticism. In London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Those are a few of today's top stories then for you. Um, I must say, I don't envy 20-somethings coming into the jobs market right now. Certainly not if you read the latest piece on the Bloomberg Terminal about just the bleak economic outlook for people coming into the jobs market, you know, after the pandemic. Yeah, difficult on a whole number of fronts. So first of all, you've got, of course, the job market is now starting to tighten. So we're seeing vacancies uh, fall in many areas as well. But just as average salary growth is now slumping as price rises picked up. So real term pay cuts, fiscal drag means people are paying more tax because those thresholds aren't moving. Um, And it also, of course, is having an impact on those who are now paying more for their education. The average forecasted debt for students in England who start their course uh, started their course last year is over £45,000 compared that grand. to 15000 for those who started their course in 2006. Yeah, I think that's pretty staggering and we, we have covered a number of times of course the difficulty of people getting onto the property ladder. I mean the ratio for earnings to uh, you know a property value mm. in London it's close to nine times it's it's pretty unbelievable so yeah I think I just wonder when does this become a real political force you know we understand that this is the these are the issues facing younger people I don't know whether the next election will be that moment or not yeah and will will people turn out to vote on these issues as well or will mm. they just think that this is a situation that is you know beyond help from from political leaders as well I mean the question of engagement is going to be key coming into that next election as well and something you can be sure that both parties uh, both main parties will be watching very closely too to see if they can reflect those concerns that young people are facing yeah no absolutely I do think it, it'll be one to think about uh, that story on the blue 
Greg Terminal this morning. Let's also turn our attention, though, uh, to what's been happening in markets. Of course, the Bank of Japan waded in this Monday morning, announcing unscheduled bond buying as the 10-year yield climbed to a nine-year high, near 0.6%. Traders face another important macro week because, of course, after the Fed and the ECB and those BOJ decisions last week, we get the Bank of England and the RBA to come. So joining us now is Bloomberg's executive editor for Asia Markets, Paul Dobson, great to have you back with us, Paul. How significant is it then, the BOJ intervention today, after only announcing that tweak to yield curve control last week? Yeah, hi there, Caroline. And so, uh, yeah, as you say, uh, the BOJ not giving us much time to um, absorb or or digest their uh, new policy before they're already sort of acting on it. What they'd said is um, that they're prepared to uh, tolerate yields as high as 0.1%, but that would be the new hard kind of line for the 10-year yield, whereas previously it had been 0.5%. So on Friday already, that saw those 10-year yields rise above the previous kind of uh, harder cap. Um, And they carried on going this morning until we had this announcement from the BOJ of the unscheduled purchases at just around the 0.6, 0.61% level around there. Um, And so, you know, kind of like that tells us something pretty uh, striking, which is that the BOJ, while it may be willing to tolerate uh, yields as high as 0.1% over time, is not uh, in any hurry to get there and certainly doesn't want to see the market get there too quickly either. It wants to avoid any sort of disruptive moves in in the in the bond market and hence uh, doing these purchases to kind of smooth that trajectory if anything i think the market also view, views fair value somewhere below 0.1% in any case so the boj is probably hoping its ultimate yield cap doesn't get tested anytime soon but on the other hand you know there's plenty of bears out there willing to bet that yields are going to go higher from here in japan so um to to bring it all back together to answer your question pretty significant in the messaging that it gives um even if you know, and in the timing of uh, the um, announcement so swiftly after that first decision. So quite a lot of information in there from the BOJ. Paul, of course, we're looking ahead to, to more central bank decisions later this week. We've got the RBA and the Bank of England to come. Uh, we had this peak in FX volatility last week as well. Should we be watching out or what should we be watching out for in the days to come? Yeah, I think both of them are quite interesting central bank meetings as well, right? Uh, the RBA has got a little bit of a split uh, there where the market is not pricing in a hike anymore after some weaker uh, economic data recently. But uh, economists who've been surveyed are still looking for the RBA to do another hike this week. And maybe another one after that as well as we're coming to the end of the current, gov- current governor's uh, term. You know, make sure that that inflation demon is well and truly vanquished so that the new governor can come in with a a clean slate. So that could be an interesting one. If they do uh, hike, it could be bullish for the Australian dollar still. Mm. If they they refrain, then then maybe not so much. And then, of course, the BOE, uh, everybody expects to hike. It's more a question of how hard they're going to go. And again, um, that could determine uh, the sort of moves that we see in the pound uh, later on this week. Mm, Okay. A last thought. It's a bit technical, but I do want your view on global yield curves steepening last week. Does it basically mean that bond markets think central banks are near the end of their interest rate hikes? Is that the translation? 
I'd say that's a fair interpretation of it. Yes, or or, or if if not that, um, you know, maybe uh, also are uh, looking for rates to stay higher for longer. Uh, so what we saw is a, is a pickup really in the longer-term yields while uh, short-term yields remained um, pretty flat there. Uh, mm. And so, you know, rather than a big dip in, in the shorter-term yields that would suggest that we're getting ready for the central banks to start cutting again um, Im- immediately. Um, but remember, you know, especially in the US, the yield curve is still very deeply inverted. Uh, and when you really want to be worried, um, based on history, at least about the possibility of a recession becoming more imminent is when we really get uh, a reinversion of the yield curve. So when the 10-year yield rises back above the two years. So there, if we start to accelerate and move into that sort of a scenario, then that becomes a whole different environment and a much more worrisome one as well. Okay. Paul, thanks so much. Paul Dobson, our executive editor for Asia Markets, joining us there. Up next is Green a Dream and Trump's Legal Machine. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Now, the paper review on Bluebird Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. Leanne Gerrans joins us in studio to look through the newspaper headlines. Let's start with the FT. Good morning, Leanne. Uh, UK government cuts cost of polluting in latest anti-green move. Caroline, yes, indeed. And this is the FT's front page story today, really outlining what it says is the latest signs that the Conservative Party is backsliding on its climate agenda and says the government is making it cheaper for industry to pollute by watering down reforms. And they said this is in comparison to the European Union. They point to a quiet announcement that was actually made last week by the government to change the carbon trading scheme, which now offers more allowances than expected to polluting industries. So what this means is it basically is watering down incentives for the industry to reduce emissions, according to the newspaper. Now, the move is pushing carbon prices to trade at a steep discount compared with those in Europe. And this is really sparking warnings that this will undermine green investment and also increase the use of fossil fuels. So this is something that the FT are leaning to. 
Meanwhile, Rishi Sunak is actually off to Scotland today and it's all about energy too. The Times reporting out the Prime Minister will use their trip to announce the government will issue 100 licences for companies that want to extract oil and gas from the North Sea. But Labour's point of view is put across in the Guardian newspaper. Labour is hoping to win seats up in Scotland at the next general election, tipped to be next year, and is pledging to ban drilling for new oil and gas projects in the North Sea. Yeah, interesting. We've had that kind of confirmation to the government now, that time story about hundreds of new oil and gas licences to be granted in the UK, according to a government statement. Uh, North East Scotland and the Humber picked as locations for two new carbon capture usage and storage clusters, something the government says could create up to 50,000 jobs. Yes, exactly, Stephen. But we also have to remember that Extinction Rebellion have been a very big presence, haven't they, of late going to sporting events? And they're saying that this move is just greenwashing by, by the government. So there's a lot of pressure from each side happening at the moment. Okay, let's go to the Wall Street Journal next, Leanne. Trump political committee spending more than $40 million on legal fees. Not cheap, is it? So Trump Save America Political Action Committee has reportedly spent this amount of money in legal fees this year alone, $40 million, and spent protecting the former president, his friends, his allies from multiple investigations he currently faces. So the former president has been indicted in New York in a hush money case. He, and in Florida for allegedly mishandling classified documents. He's expected to face further charges related to the 2022 election, and that will be both in Georgia and in Washington. And as a Republican frontrunner, he is vowing to stay in the race even if he is convicted. Rival Republican candidates have actually hit out at Donald Trump's legal spending with the campaign of his main challenger, Ron DeSantis, saying that, you know, the 40 million legal fees is more money than Trump's, than Trump's campaign has actually raised, which has been $36 million. So here we are. This is where we are with Donald Trump's investigations that he is facing and how much it's really costing him at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So that on uh, former President Donald Trump. Uh, what about The Telegraph, just to end the newspaper segment? Uh, the Royal Mail is warning that old stamps must be posted by the last collection on deadline day to avoid charges. Is anyone still posting a letter these days? You know what? I I did say earlier I got a postcard and it was so lovely that I think I might send out some Christmas cards one day. So today's the last day to use stamps, which only show the Queen's head and don't have a barcode. So they won't be recognised from tomorrow, Caroline. So if you post, if you get a letter through the post tomorrow with the Queen's head on it, you might have to go to the post office and actually pay for your mail. Which is never, which is never That's too inspiring. No, yeah. so do think about that. Otherwise, if you're like myself and you don't post letters, but you bought Christmas stamps, you know, all those months ago, you can still use those. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Come on. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.